Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, ladies and gentlemen, the pride of Columbus, he is the captain. I'm also the pride of Lowell, Massachusetts, where it's always good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend. We are drinking James Bogue's Premium Lager, garage grade three out of five bottle caps. This is a European style lager made with the finest Pilsner malts, fermented at a much cooler temperature and matured longer than other lagers, resulting in a crisp, a very crispy lager. Today's beer was brought to us by these crispy critters. First up, we have Ms. Mel's Tattoos. A big shout out to Stacy in Pflugerville. Texas, not to be confused with Snoogerville. And here's a double long distance cheers to Scott and his girlfriend Sarah in Mount Prospect, Illinois. Cheers, cheers. And a big we like you jib to Andrew and Greenville, South Carolina. And a shout out to Brandon all the way in Bay of Plenty over in New Zealand. And last but not least, a cheers to our friend Rachel P, who is on bed rest. Where is Rachel these days, Captain? Is mm. like Lakewood, Ohio, she- maybe? Well, I don't think we should give out her information. <laughs> anyway, it's somewhere baby. In, in Northeast Ohio. So congratulations to Rachel. And thanks to everybody for helping out with this week's show. If you want to go and help us out with next week's show, keeping us, your friends, refreshed here in the garage, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. All right, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer, and let's talk some true crime. In the disappearance of three-year-old William Terrell. Now, we spoke about the dynamics of his family yesterday. He has biological parents. He has foster parents. The three-year-old went missing while in the care of his foster parents at the grandmother's home. Now, the parents, the foster parents have not been without suspicion. Because especially very early on in this investigation, the public wanted to know, one, why can't we learn the identity of these parents and two, what are, what else are they hiding? Mm-hmm. So the parents agreed to an interview. This took place in April of 2015. It's my understanding that this was a police interview and this was released to the public. 
And there's some interesting answers and questions here during the course of this interview. Now, I want you to keep in mind when you listen to this, that not only have the, um, the identities been, been hidden from the public in this interview, mm-hmm. you can watch video of this, but you're just going to see shadow images of these two individuals and the voices that you are hearing have been altered to further disguise the identity of these two people. We're just going to read the questions from the interviewer because those are the hardest to hear. And also the audio at the beginning isn't so great, but it gets better as the interview goes along. The first question that is posed by the interviewer is he asked the foster parents to explain to the public this whole process. You know, this is a very high profile case. He's asking them to tell the public what it is like to walk a mile in their shoes and what they have been through. It's like, it's the never ending nightmare. We wake up, we, we, it, we just relive it. It's just, it's, I just can't believe it's happened. It's, um, we, we, we just don't have our boy. We just, we have no idea where he is. We don't know who's got him. We don't know what's happening to him. We know nothing about it. We just want it to be over. Now, there's been a lot of people that have taken this interview and they've kind of tore it apart and really analyzed the answers that the foster parents are giving to these questions. And that first question there is one that has been scrutinized quite a bit, where people question the foster mother, stating where she states that we don't know where he is, we don't know what happened to him, we just want this to be over. And I think you could make an argument for either side of the fence here, because a lot of people say this might point to some sort of guilt by the foster parents, you know, where they're, they're claiming their innocence in a question where it wasn't necessary for them to claim their innocence. We don't know where he is. We don't know what happened to him. And then the other portion is that people state that when she says, we just want this to be over, Mm -hmm. that she might be referring to the investigation. Personally, Captain, I I tend to argue the other side of the fence here, where when she started off with her answer, it's, we are living a nightmare. We wake up every day and it's repeated, is what she's basically saying. Yeah, I think she's implying that she wants the nightmare to be over. Exactly. She's heartbroken. She can't imagine what could have happened to this child. It's a nightmare, and she just wants that portion of it to be over. The interviewer is going to ask them, when was the last time you saw William? That morning, on the 12th, at Mum's place. 10th, about 10, 15. No. And uh, could you just give a bit of a background? What was he doing? He's at his so that's a little odd. Yeah, yeah, very odd. When asked, when was the last time that you saw William, you hear the foster father start to give an answer of about 10, 15. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like his wife is correcting him at that point. Like, she no. starts, no, no. But then, but then they're cut off by the interviewer. Right. And I'm curious, what would she have said? What was she about to say to her husband before she was cut off by the interviewer? Right. Because all the reports say that she saw him last about 10, 15. Not only that, it's almost as if she's trying to remind her husband, wait a second, you were gone when he went missing by all reports you were off making this business call or this Skype yeah. communication. And we don't want to speculate too much because it could have been as simple as him saying, oh, 10, 15. And again, if she was going to correct him, well, no, you were gone. And he, mm-hmm. he could have been saying, well, he asked us as a group. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like my wife saw him last at 10, 15. Right. So, and, and that's that's interesting that you say that because we've all come across husband and wife combos that that do that the best aren't they when asked a question you may have one person in the group that thinks that it's it's a question specifically for them and for their knowledge and what they know about the situation only where you have either the wife or the husband going well we Mm -hmm. collectively we last saw him around 10 15 on that day now we will speed along through this interview because it's quite lengthy and we're not there's no reason to play the whole thing here. So before we get to their next response, um, one thing I do want to tick off my list here is that when asked what William was last doing, the mother states that he was having fun, he was playing, he was playing Daddy Tiger. She gives some kind of name to 
the game that she believes that they were playing. Mm-hmm. Now the father, the foster father, I find his answer a little, a little weird in the sense that it's very vague. His answer is William was just doing what he would normally do. And, and I get that that William's foster father was not present or not supposed to have been present at the approximate time that he was, the boy was abducted or went missing. Mm-hmm. However, we need to keep in mind that in, in April of 2015, when this interview is being conducted, police are working under the assumption that this little boy has been abducted. It seems strange to me, and I know that these parents are probably traumatized in their in their own manner, in their own way from living through this experience, but it seems a little strange to me that they are quite vague with this answer of what the little boy was doing when he was last seen. Because if we are talking about in a an abduction here. Well, the mom's not that vague. There could be some importance as to what the boy was doing when he was last being supervised by an adult. Well, let's go over the foster mother's accounts of the moment that she realized that William was missing. I just, I, I'm, I mean, I, I think back to that, that moment where I just went, I can't hear him. Why, why, why can't I hear him? And I walked around it was just two metres, three metres away from where we were sitting. And I've just walked out and I just see nothing. I, I see nothing. I hear nothing. I, I'm speechless. I'm walking around in a circle on the spot thinking, where is he? Why can't I see him? Mm. And I'm yelling out, William, where are you? You need to talk to mummy. Tell me where you are. I can't see you. I can't hear you. Where, where are you? And... He was nowhere, and I just, and I'm just standing there thinking, how could he just disappear? Because he just disappeared. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Later in the interview, the foster parents are asked, "When did you first suspect abduction?" I, I from, the, from in my mind, it was immediate because there's no way in the world William would have gone into that bush. It's too thick. There's lantana all through it. There is no way in the world he would have gone into that bush. Being a cautious boy, as you said, he's going to think twice about doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, th- it was, it was in my head, and even Mum, even when I was talking with Mum while we were waiting, and I was doing the frantic thing around running through the house and opening up cupboards and all sorts of stuff, I just kept going in my head. Somebody's taken him. I can't. There was, it, it, in my mind, it was the only logical explanation for what could have happened. Uh, yeah, a, a child in that situation, in that circumstance, in those surrounds, would not just disappear into thin air. I mean, I, I, have, my, I have my doubts. Uh, I, I didn't know wh- what to believe at the time, especially in the first hour or, t- or two. I, I didn't know what to believe, but um, I guess my mind was wandering as to what, what, I, what could have happened to him, but I just had to keep on going and, and have the support of the, the community around us that were also looking for him. The police were on, on scene within minutes. Yeah, um, really which was fa- absolutely fantastic, um, but I didn't know what to believe. But in that community, you don't expect you don't expect someone to take a child. No. I mean, seriously, it's a tiny community. Everybody knows each other in those around those streets. There's complete trust. It just it just I'm I'm astounded that there there could be somebody living there or people living there that could do this. It just—it's just—it's it, not the place where you'd, ex- you'd expect it in the city. You'd expect abductions in the city. You don't expect to sit hear about abductions no, in Kendall and out of my town. mum's street. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The thing that I want to red flag here, Captain, is I find it a little strange that mm-hmm. you know we heard the nine one one call. Uh, sorry, I said nine one one. We heard the triple zero emergency call. Same, same. Where she reports little William as missing. Now, here in this interview, which is conducted, you know, nearly half, more than half a year later, she states that, w- when did you think that he first was abducted? That somebody came and physically took this child? And she says, almost immediately. Immediately, I felt that that was the only thing that could have happened. It was the only reasonable explanation why yeah. I could not find this little boy. She had uh, intuition. Which, I, look... The only thing to me here is for my thought 
the when I first heard the triple zero call, mm-hmm. listened to it multiple times. I always thought that she sounded a little a little concerned, but um, very calm, maybe a little reserved. Um, my thought though was always that your first immediate thought usually is not that the child is abducted is that this child is just missing. They've wandered off somewhere. Mm -hmm. They found somebody to play with down the street. And now once we bring in some people to help with this search, once we raise the alarm, we're going to feel a little embarrassed because he will be easily found. That was my thought listening to those emergency calls before. Mm -hmm. However, after hearing this interview, I'm a little perplexed here at, at her saying that she believed that he was abducted almost immediately and then sounding so calm on that emergency call. Well, I think part of it is not wanting to, I mean, you can feel things or have senses of things, but she might have not wanted to believe that. I also think that she sounded a lot more distraught on that call. And I think she was holding back a lot. I think there's little moments of that call that, that allude to that. And you bring up a good point here. If, if people are able to stay somewhat reserved and that they don't go into panic mode. Mm-hmm. Usually they are able to be more productive in a solution to whatever problem everyone is experiencing. So yes, maybe she's just kind of cool under pressure here and trying to stay from panicking so that she can help find her little boy and present as much information as she can. Yeah. And you could, you know, put yourself in her shoes. I mean, she gets up to go look for William cause she does not hear him. Let's and, and her first gut reaction is somebody took him. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be going around while people are looking for him going, I have a feeling somebody took him. Right. And then you're going to freak everybody else out. Yeah. So I think that's part of it too. And I think now she's stating, and what's kind of fascinating to me is the how it's impossible. You know, it's like she can't, She's having a hard time in her brain connecting the dots, you know, on how he went missing in this small gap and how it doesn't make any sense. Right. And and that's, to me, very real. Like, if you know, it, it's hard for me to believe that she had something to do with it when that is real. Like, she's, you can tell that her brain is still confused on how he went, how he just kind of poof and went missing. Yeah, even seven months later, still kind of processing the events of that day and how this could have possibly have happened. Now, moving on in the interview, she will be asked, they will be asked, if William was abducted, do you feel that it was somebody from the area? I don't think it's somebody from the community. I think it's someone who doesn't have a history there. I think it's, I'm saying if, if, I mean, I don't know for sure. I I can't see... I can't see a true local who knows my mum, who knows us and knows our family choosing to take our child. I can't see that. And if that's the case, then I feel so sorry for that community because that is absolutely disgraceful and nobody can trust a soul. That's not the community of Kendall. People trust each other there. Dad, do you feel the same way? Absolutely. I I, I, I think the communities probably going through just as tough a time as we are because there are so many families there with young children that are now changed their lives as well Mm. and the impact that that's actually had on them um, for for, for, I don't know what period of time but it's 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 yeah it is disgraceful and probably the toughest question that they had to ask was what do you think happened to William it's a it's a hard question I think that uh, if I could answer it by saying that, I mean, for, I think I trod those grounds myself for three or four days, you know, every morning until almost nightfall. Um, we had Polair, we had police from all around, we had, you know, SES, we had the uh, community. If he was out there in the bush, he would have been found. Yeah. Which, you know, as I was walking through the bush with other people, it it became more aware to me as time went on that this event is this is not a normal event this is not a child gone missing in the bush this this is heading down the path of abduction or something more more sinister um that's 
that's what I, I, I believe, I truly believe now, and I, I, I still pray to this day that I still believe strongly that he's alive. <laughs> if he is still alive, then someone has him. So what would the foster parents say to that person right now? Just give him back. Do the right thing. Give him back. Take him to a church. Drop Take him, him to a police station. Take him to a school. Give him to someone. Give him, give him back. And if somebody out there knows something or knows the person that took William, what would you say to them? Say something to police straight away. Yeah. Say something. Because what, what, what they say or what they potentially bring is another piece to the puzzle that can at least uh, give it, get us closer to an outcome. Um, and I said before, you're yeah, praying for a miracle for him to return alive. Mm. Um, but praying for an outcome so that at least we, we can... Uh, know what's happened to him. That's, that's, that's the goal at the end of the day. I suppose the other thing too is if they don't come forward or even the person who might be uh, very close to whoever's done this, if they don't come forward, you don't want this happening to anyone else. No. You don't want this person no. striking again. Yeah. No. You said um, right at the beginning, walk a mile in our shoes. You can't walk a mile in our shoes unless you've actually, it's actually happened. Yep. And I don't think any parent anywhere deserves to walk a mile in our shoes. It shouldn't happen. It just should not happen. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids 
that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, Captain. Cheers. Cheers, me mateys. Some powerful stuff from the foster parents of William Tyrrell there in that interview. Now, some more thought on the possibility of either a pedophile ring being involved in the abduction of little William or at least the thought that maybe more than one abductor was present on the day that he was taken. This comes from information that was provided to authorities from the family of a convicted pedophile. Now, the family states that there are two people here, and these should be two persons of interest in this case. Both are convicted pedophiles, or at least convicted to have had some kind of child sex offender charges on their record. They claim that their family member has claimed to have met up with his friend, who is also a child sex offender, on the day that William happened to be abducted or at least disappeared. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first individual that we're talking about is a man named Tony Jones. So he was the pedophile whose white station wagon was seized in the investigation into William's disappearance. Now, this man has 90 offenses on his criminal record. Nine zero offenses on his criminal record. He has charges against him for... uh, pedophile-type crimes before and after the disappearance of William Tyrrell. Now, he claims that he was going to go meet up with a man by the name of Bickford. Paul Bickford, another... um, These guys are both pieces of shit. Yes, thank you, Captain. Yeah, Paul Bickford. So this is the story, Captain. Well, and uh, so I don't go off on a a three-hour rant. You have 90 charges against you. You shouldn't be out with the rest of the population. We should be protecting our kids. You should spend the rest of your life in jail. Thank Period. you. Thank, 90. 90. Nine zero you, offenses. You should get a year for at least every charge. And then so you'd be in 
jail for 90 years, you piece of shit. Yeah. And um, like I said, he has charges before and after the disappearance of William. So he was out during that time. Now, their story, here's their story. All right. Now, keep in mind, this was brought to police and brought to investigators by family members of one of these individuals. So the story was that the two of them were supposed to meet up. They were going to spend the day in the bush, uh, in the woods, in the forest, looking for and collecting scrap metal. Now, the report, what the family would say is that they did not see uh, Jones until later that afternoon. He did return home, um, but when he returned home, he was drunk. Uh, and he did still claim that he had spent the day in the woods collecting scrap metal. It, it seems very, very, I mean, we talk about strange coincidences along the way here. It seems very strange that you have two persons, one with nine, with 90 offenses against him mm-hmm. that happened to meet up on the day that little William goes missing. And we have two, maybe three vehicles spotted in the area of his disappearance. Yeah. And wasn't one of the vehicles spotted the white, um, the white station wagon. Yes. And that was what was seized from this man's possession. So to further add weight to this thought and theory is that it was reported that both men had lived in the Kendall area and both had been driving vehicles that would match the description of one of the vehicles seen near the Tarot house on that day or around the time that William had disappeared. Mm hmm. Police have also alluded to the thought that possibly remember Bill Spedding that we had talked about earlier, the individual that was scheduled to fix the washing machine. Yeah, the maintenance man. That they that news reports have claimed they found a Spider-Man toy in his van. Police would not confirm this or deny it. Mm-hmm. Um, but police have alluded that there's a possibility that Bill Spedding may be friends or acquaintances with one or both of these individuals that we just mentioned. Mm. Now, so now we got three pieces of shit publicly. These men have denied that they are friends. Um, and but we have two of them at least hanging out together, <laughs> but we're not friends. We just, we, we just went to the bush to collect scrap metal. We have, yes, we have at least one of them that told their family member, I'm going to meet this specific person mm-hmm. and go to the woods with the, uh, with the objective of collecting as much scrap metal as we can for the day. And I do want to give a little more information regarding this individual bill spedding. So he was a repairman, right? He had gave the foster grandmother a quote. Her washing machine was broke. And apparently he had done this several days before the child had arrived. She wanted to get the washing machine fixed. One, just to get it fixed. But two, expecting house guests, you don't want the laundry to pile up. Apparently, there was a part that was needed to repair this washing machine. Uh Uh-huh. And actually, Bill was scheduled to be there on that, on the day that William went missing. Mm -hmm. On the Friday. Correct. The story goes like this, though. That he was waiting for the part to come in. Mm -hmm. There are some reports out there that state that he tried calling the grandmother. Now, the reports go fork. There's a fork in the road here, Captain, because the reports go one of two directions. A lot of the reports state that Bill Spedding had called the grandmother. She did not pick up the phone and he was calling to let her know that he was still waiting on the part that it had not arrived. He was not going to be able to fix the machine that day. Uh The other side of the fork in the road was that he was calling to report that the item had in fact come in and he would like to come by and repair the washing machine. Mm -hmm. However, Regardless of the fork in the road, both stories, all reports indicate that the phone, the phone call was not received, that she did not answer the call. Yeah. I don't know if a message was left that would clear up what was actually about to happen had she answered the phone. Mm-hmm. However, the report states, the reports state that she then tried to call him back to figure out what it was that he had wanted. Mm-hmm. So apparently... Once they were able to make contact, 
whether it be he called her or she called him. Apparently, by this point, they were busy. This kid has gone missing. He, we don't want anybody coming out to repair the washing machine that day. He did eventually go out to her home and repair the washing machine. I believe it was anywhere from five to seven days after the boy had gone missing, but he did return to that home. Now, where was he that day? According to his wife, that his that Bill had gone out for a cup of coffee. They attended some kind of a midday event together. And then he went back to work that afternoon and then returned home as normal that evening. So during the, according to his wife, during the time that William would have gone missing or would have been abducted around that 10, 15 to 10 30 marker, this man was, According to his wife, his whereabouts were accounted for. Yeah, I don't believe her. Well, I don't I'm not I'm not necessarily going to go too much into whether I need to believe her or not for mm-hmm. my own thoughts. My thought is we don't have any investigators coming forward saying, "Yeah, we've already cleared this individual." Right. We've we've heard his wife's side of the story. He's been cleared. Let's move on. We have other suspects to investigate. This dude, as far as I can find, has not been cleared. He's still he's still considered a person of interest in this investigation. Now let's get into some of these theories here, Captain, because there's several theories about what possibly could have happened on September 12th, 2014. Okay. So the first thought would be much more innocent than a lot of the other theories out there. The first thought would be that the, the children are outside playing Mom and the grandmother go inside to get a cup of tea. They're gone for a little bit of time. And during this time, William goes wandering off. He goes wandering into the forest or to the bush, as they call it. And this is a vast area. This is rugged terrain. If you know, I want, I want everybody to keep in mind. It's possible that if somebody were to wander in there and get lost or to keep venturing deeper and deeper into those woods, if a proper search is not conducted, there's a good chance that somebody could not only succumb to the elements and pass away in those woods. There's a chance that they may not be found. Right. Especially a three-year-old. Yes. What are your thoughts on that, on that theory, Captain? Well, his foster parents talk about him being a cautious kid. So I don't know if he would actually roam that far away. We also have, countless reports of people searching the property that, you know, within what, 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes or so of the boy going missing. The foster dad is running the whole property lines looking. I think he would have been found. I also, if you ever been to the grocery store with a three-year-old, they don't like to walk that long. So that's true. So I think that once he got into, if he did get into the bush, at some point he would be stopping and not moving at all. And is, is there some kind of, you know, look the the animals I know are a little bit different there. Is it possible that he went to the edge of the bush and then somehow like an animal got him? One of those Tasmanian devil things that, uh, spins around and creates a tornado Mm -hmm. and makes weird noises. Yeah. No, I just think, um, I, I don't think it's that likely they had a, they had adequate, well, not even adequate. They had a amazing search team. They had amazing volunteers looking for this child. I think they would have they would have found him. I, you know, I question how long the the gap is of not you know not hearing William play because, mm-hmm. uh, like we've said before, there's a lot of times where somebody thinks it was a couple minutes, but maybe it was a little bit longer. Um, I do question that, but I do find. The fact that the foster mother is just baffled by the fact that he went missing. Uh, and she, st- she still seems so baffled today that I, I do believe that it was a very short gap. Yeah, and I think I think you nailed it there, Captain. I think you hit the nail on the head for me as well because you bring up one thing that, that really kind of sums it up for me with this thought and it not being a very likely, maybe even a impossibility. Mm-hmm. is that there was an abundance of searchers. There was an abundance of resources that they used to try to find 
that little boy. They used helicopters, yeah. motorcycles, dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used people that were experienced in searching through that type of terrain. Now it's well, my- and you bring up a good point with the dogs is we don't have any evidence. If, if these dogs got a scent trail, they would they would have followed that scent into the bush. Yeah. Yeah, and it's my understanding that the early searches, now this would be the grandmother, the the foster mom, and the people that helped in the neighborhood. God bless the people that helped in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I didn't go too far into the details of that, but it also sounds to me like some of the children that were playing in the area not only provided qu- answers to questions to adults that are, hey, have you seen a boy? Have you seen a kid wearing a Spider-Man outfit? Not mm-hmm. only did they say, no, we haven't seen this child, but they also helped look for this child and some of the kids and some of the neighbors went door to door knocking on doors asking for other people's assistance or if they had saw some boy wandering around now as far as going into the bush the one thing here that that really makes me question that and i understand that maybe valuable time should he have wandered into there maybe valuable time could have been lost while they searched the neighborhood not expecting a cautious young boy to walk into the woods. But I don't think his little legs could have carried him very far before, before we're talking about that abundance of resources coming in to look in that area, specifically look in that area. And as we mentioned, they covered fairly quickly three kilometers from the spot that he went missing. That's a good amount of ground. The other item here is that Spider-Man outfit he's wearing. That's, half of that thing is bright red. Mm -hmm. The other half of it's bright blue. These are pretty easy colors to spot. Even if you're in a helicopter far above the canopy of the, of the bush or the woods. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've heard several searchers talk about searching that day. And one thing that they said was that the, the bush was so thick that the clothes that they were wearing, some of them experienced tears on their clothing. Now, if any items, if little threads of, of red or bright blue pieces of clothing would have been torn from, from William, which I would expect that more likely than that from the searchers, that w- we would have seen evidence that mm-hmm. he was at least in that woods at some point. And again, I don't know the animal situation, but animals don't just kind of pick you up and cuddle you as they carry you away. There would have been some type of evidence to suggest that something terrible had happened to the poor little boy. Now, one thing that scares me, um, was that in looking at pictures of the neighborhood and near that lot, there was a, a large sewer nearby. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm sure, and I hope, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I hope that, that that area was checked. And I hope that if they used dogs to check that area, like they said, that there were no tracks leading them to that sewer area. It looked large enough that a small child could, could fit down in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as they had said that it sounds like they were playing hide and go seek when he was last seen, could he have been looking for a place to hide and attempt to hide in there, not understanding what it actually was. Um, for me, I find this to be this thought, this theory to be one that part of me, wishful thinking would hope that this would be more of a likelihood. However, it doesn't seem very likely that this was in fact the scenario. Now regarding the next theory captain was that we're not hearing the full story from the foster parents that somehow the foster parents, be it the father, be it the mother, be it them together in some kind of team were Mm -hmm. responsible for the uh, demise of this young child. And they've been able to successfully hide his corpse all these years later. Well, let's have you tackle this one first. Well, my thoughts on the foster parents are this. um, And I share a suspicion that you have, but I think my thoughts are, I suspect a little more from the foster parents. The only thing I actually think that the foster parents might be guilty of is I think that that window of time when William was unsupervised, Mm -hmm. I think it might be considerably larger than what we're told. Now I don't, when I say that, I don't mean to throw shade at the foster mom. What I mean by that is, is there a chance that that's not deliberate, that they're not deliberately saying, 
yeah, I watched the kid until 10.15, and that was the last time I saw him. And right. at 10.30, I, I figured out that he was missing because I didn't hear him anymore, and we have a five-minute window. My thought is they might not have been watching the clock the entire time right. that you're sitting there, you're catching up with your mother that you haven't seen in a while face to face. Felt like a couple minutes. Yeah. It felt like 15 minutes. It felt like five minutes that they hadn't heard him 15 minutes that they hadn't seen him. Maybe it could have been 15 minutes. You hadn't heard him mm-hmm. a half an hour that you had not seen him. So I think that really I don't find anything there. I mean, I do have some questions about some of the answers that they've provided in that interview, but, Mm -hmm. but really what you hear toward the end of that interview, and we didn't play the entire thing, but you hear the heartache in their voices. You hear their voices cracking and they are sort of trying to fight through tears as the interview goes on and on. And so I think that there's real heartache there. I think that they, their hearts are broken. I think that they intended to permanently adopt William and his sister. Mm-hmm. I think they thought of William as their own little boy. So the only thing that they may be guilty of in my mind, the foster parents, is that possibly their memory is not as clear as we would like it to be for the morning that he went missing. And maybe that window of time that he before he was noticeably missing Mm -hmm. is a little larger. Yeah. I, it's just the way she goes over that. And I'm going to bring it up again. The, the minute that, you know, she realizes he's missing and that he just kind of poof disappeared. I mean, you can tell that her brain is just baffled by this. So that to me lends to the idea that, you know, she has no clue what happened to him. So not guilty of that. The problem with this, though, is that we don't know who these individuals are. And there could be other suspects based off of these individuals. If we knew, for example, oh, this person is so-and-so and and this person is so-and-so and and the husband was having an affair. And then if he's having an affair with somebody, then that person becomes a possible suspect. You know what I mean? So there's little things... I don't think they're guilty of anything. You know, that's what my gut is telling me based off their answers, based off the research, but it's also, we're not getting the full picture of these individuals. And if we did, is there something that would be brought to the surface that you go, Oh, well, right. I question that. So it's, I see what you're saying. It's hard for us to give a full assessment where police obviously know who these people are and they're able to dive into their lives much better than we can. Um, But I see what you're saying here, that there could be other things at play. And the thought there, too, is, you know, was this a planned visit? You know, there's been speculation about that. We've proved it was a planned visit. The Straight from the foster mother's mouth, they planned to go there on that Friday. They planned to be there that weekend. The only thing that was unplanned about it was that they left on that Thursday instead. Right. And you point out something that's very interesting there, Captain, who in their lives would have known, you know, just because just because that portion of the trip was unplanned, there are people in their lives that could have known we're leaving a day early. My work, I told my work, or I told this person, I told the babysitter that would typically help out, mm-hmm. you know, different people. So, yeah, I get what you're saying there. So now we have to ponder the question, if we don't think that it's likely that the foster parents were involved you know, one more one more little tidbit on that before we move on would uh-huh. be if if the foster parents were involved and somehow some, maybe even a freak accident or some something strange happened and they decided to cover it up, the foster grandmother would have to be going along with that. You yeah. know what I mean? It just adds one more piece of the pie, one more thing to the equation there, you know, because if if the foster grandmother's telling the truth and and her story is, is real. Then both of these individuals, their whereabouts are accounted for Williams time with them is accounted for up into the point where he disappears. So that in itself clearing both of them, essentially the other thought though here is if it wasn't the foster parents, could it have potentially been the biological parents of William? Right. They weren't they arrested the, that day? Yeah, and I this is why I didn't want to go too far into that. 
And here, here's my thoughts. First of all, I've seen several interviews with the biological mother. And to be honest, she seems very genuine. She, I can't say for certain that she's telling the truth, but she seems, she comes off to be very honest to me. So I don't see anything with the biological mother, but what I can gather from some of the interviews, it actually sounds like the biological mother and father were not together on the day that William disappeared. Right. And where we get the information that the, the biological parents were arrested at 4.30 on the day that William had gone missing, we get that information from the biological grandmother, from, from the biological father's mother. Now, we have some problems with her statements there. While they may not be entirely untrue, you have to weigh them against what the biological mother says in her interviews. She does not say that she was arrested. She says that she, yes, police knocked on her door the day that William went missing. Right. That they questioned her, that they forced their way inside and they searched her, her home and she, and they searched the grounds of her home. And one thing that, one thing that is a little telling to me to make me believe that she is honest, she kind of criticizes their search. She's like, yeah, they came into my home and they went looking around for William, but she's like, that was my son missing. I, when they were searching my home, I hope they put more effort into it when they were searching other people's homes because they didn't search my home very thoroughly. Right now there was one interesting thing when, when they did search her home was they found a little boy in her backyard playing and they thought that that was William, but that was actually another son of hers that she has. Uh. So uh, the son that she is choosing to raise. Well, these children were taken from her. Right. So Be- because of her choices. Well, yeah, I, I, I think it's a little harsh to, to, and that that's just my opinion. You know, you mm-hmm. can, you can be forceful about it if you like. Um, I think that well, you think you have to be pretty bad as a parent for them to take your kids away. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know 100% the circumstances of why the children were taken from them because I don't. And I, I mean, and, I grew up in the eighties and pretty much all my friends, parents were not that great of parents and none of them ever got taken away. Right. But, but again, I know that neither of us know the circumstances of that right, situation. Right. So I think it's a little, it's a, for me, you can, you can have your opinion for me. It's a little out of bounds. I think I do agree with some of your statement there. I think there, she probably could have made some other choices mm-hmm. that would have possibly have helped her. Her number one complaint is that a lot of the situation was her, uh, boyfriend at the time, the, the child's which, father which is possible. Yeah. And because they were still together, she was kind of lumped in with him. She does state that she, f- that was your choice. She does state that she failed some kind of uh, drug test, uh, mm-hmm. that she tested positive for marijuana, which was going to help them decide to take away her children. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is also a woman that, that says that she was um, in a domestic violence relationship right. during that time. And I don't feel that she feels that she had much control over the situation at the time. I really do feel that she feels more guilty than anybody involved uh, for what has happened to her, her son. Yeah, I kind of was forgetting about the domestic violence because it seemed like it was coming from both sides. And it could, it it could have have been, but but, I don't know the details. Yeah, those are, that's a lot harder of a situation to be in. What I do know is that currently, or at least as of 2017, she was raising other children of hers. So oh, good for her. Hopefully so, she got her life together. So either getting rid of this guy, this mm-hmm. Brandon Collins, either getting rid of him was able to help her straighten out herself or she has done some things to straighten herself out since well, this on the biological, uh, the biological parents would have been roughly what four hours away anyways. Yeah. Now if they were separate, if they were not together that day, here's where I, here's where I do want to throw some shade. I want to throw some shade on the biological father. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I don't, I don't feel like I can trust this grandmother, the biological grandmother, because 
through her own words, she states that the state was going to come and take William away and she helped provide money to to the biological parents so they could go on the run to keep their child. Right. So she aided in that situation with them being out on the run. Once once the children were taking away, taken away from them, this the biological father was in and out of jail. When he was not in jail, it sounds like he was living with his mother. And it sounds like she paints this picture of this guy that was a teetotaler until the point that his son went missing. I don't know that I can believe that. He's had a strong history of, of alcoholism and drug addiction. He's addicted to ice, mm-hmm. uh, the drug ice. I don't see any break in that chain in, in his history. It appears that this well, was he's violent. This so. has been a constant for him as well. So I think what we have here is we have the grandmother painting one picture. And I think in reality, there's a much different reality out there than what she's trying to throw into the public that this guy was sober. He was doing the right thing and he couldn't get his kid back. Um, and that, you know, my, these kids were not involved because they were arrested fairly quickly afterwards. The mother says that we weren't arrested. They searched my home. They questioned me. That was it. Now mm-hmm. she doesn't state anything about her boy for her ex at that time, Brandon Collins. Now maybe, maybe they show up to question Collins about his whereabouts. If he was involved, if he's, if he's seen William and they catch him with drugs or they find him and he's high and he's broken some type of probation and they actually arrested him. I don't know that. Yeah. Or they just took him down to the station for questioning and, and his mom's calling that arrest. Who knows? Right. I, I just think that we're getting one bad story and it doesn't seem to be the truth coming from his side. And mm. I kind of question that. I think that if there were, yeah, any, but again, it's four hours away. He would also have to know where they were or they followed him. Right. I mean, that's possible. But again, I'm not saying he did it. What I'm saying, captain, is that we, we've already seen a situation where the grandmother has aided the escape in the, and the, aided right, them but, to keep the child And And I don't need to be proven right or wrong here. What I'm saying is that I, for, for the f- biological father to be ruled out, I need some more information. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I think he's guilty of anything. What I but I don't find truth coming from his mother. I question well, her she's story. An enabler, right? So. I question her story. Therefore, I question him. I question his actions. I would need some more information to mm-hmm. clear him from as a possible suspect in this situation. What are your thoughts on the biological parents? Uh, I, I I don't think it was them. I, I don't think the likelihood, I mean, it's four hours away, you know, they left the day before. So if you did follow them, you know, you'd have to be gone Thursday night and nobody saw you in your car. There's no record of them getting in a hotel room. So I just, I don't think it's likely. And then also you're going to capture your kid and, and then where did you put your kid? Mm-hmm. You know, you were arrested that day. And maybe not arrested, but questioned that day. Both parents were. The scary thought, though, is that a stranger abduction or the pedophile ring or more than one abductor almost seems like a much more likely situation than any of the other theories that we've discussed. Mm-hmm. That it, it, it's it's sad to think that. It's sad and scary to think that, that possibly somebody was watching the area. Someone was cruising and looking for a child and came across William playing in the backyard and decided to wait till he was unattended and took him or lured the, him into their vehicle. Well, and there was a pedophile ring in the area. Suspected pedophile yeah. ring in the area. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's that's all I need to know. As far as like, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big uh, suspicion. You know, it's not just that there's one offender here or there. It's, there's a ring in that area. So again, and then we have the situation where we have two pedophiles meeting up to collect a scrap metal. So here's these guys that are going to go into the bush and go searching, you know, willy nilly for scrap metal to make a couple dollars. You know, these rings, they put a price on children. Is it that far fetched just that we have two pedophiles in the area both their cars have been seen in the area. They were going out 
to look for scrap metal to get money and they just came across an opportunity. They would make more money off of William than they would off that scrap metal. Well, and not only that, Captain, but what if, what about this Bill Spedding? Is there a chance that when his phone call went unanswered, he decided to drive by the house to knock on the door and say, hey, I got the part. I can go ahead and do the work today. He pulls up. He sees this child playing in the backyard, Mm -hmm. and he decides to take the child and whether for his own purposes or to to sell him off to people that he may know. Police mm -hmm. have said that he may have known these other two individuals that they've questioned in this situation. Is that why is he so willing to toss up his DNA? You know, where it looks like, hey, I'm super innocent. Here's my DNA. Go ahead and clear me. Mm-hmm. But also, if all I did was take the child and I didn't do anything with them sexually or physically attack them or whatever, the the chances of me leaving DNA on that individual go down significantly mm-hmm. at that point. Uh, right. I understand that. But I also think you know, his, his vehicle, what it makes it seem like is that he had a work vehicle. You would think that somebody would have noticed a work vehicle more so than just any normal car. Yeah. That's the one thing that we don't get good, clear understanding of here is where we have several vehicles that are described to have been in the area at the time. And when we talk about, um, Tony Jones's vehicle, how it matched one of the vehicles, how his vehicle was seized how Paul Bickford, Bickford, how he had a vehicle that matched one of those vehicles. We hear that we have Spedding, who his property was searched, who was questioned, mm-hmm. who they may have found a Spider-Man toy in his work van or work vehicle. Right, but he had grand, grandchildren, right? We also get no description of that vehicle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Did it did it match any of the descriptions that we've already given of, of eyewitness accounts of vehicles that were spotted in the area roughly around the time that William had gone missing. Yeah, but you got to be pretty ballsy just to go, hey, take my DNA. Oh, yeah, of course. To me, it seems that, to me, that action seems more like somebody that, you know, like you said, he he did have some charges against him. I don't know what those charges were. It sounds to me like somebody that's saying, hey, I I didn't do this and I want to be cleared right away. Mm-hmm. And and go ahead and take my DNA, and I'll do anything I can to help you. I mean, they search his property as well. Yeah, I don't want to go too far into his charges because I don't have a full understanding of them. But um, the limited understanding I have of them is he has some allegations against him regarding a six and three year old girl. Um, and the mm-hmm. uh, the other thought though, there's some confusion regarding the allegations. Uh, one being, was he he was charged, but was he convicted? Um, I don't know that he was convicted. The, the other issue seems to be that he at one time in his life was friends with a pretty horrific sexual predator and his claim regarding those allegations is that the witnesses, the victims are wrong, that he was not the one that victimized them, that the, the person that was, that he knew was the one that had in fact victimized them. He doesn't claim to have knowledge of this other than that's his speculation after having been charged. Right, right. And it seems to me like there's a very high probability that if this guy Spedding wasn't involved in these allegations against these girls, he was unaware of his friend's activities. And he might even have been family members with this individual at the time. It just seems to ring true, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. it sounds a little goofy, but it's like... I think there's a lot of people that get charged with these pedophile crimes and it's a shock to a bunch of people in a community, let alone somebody that was friends with somebody or somebody that was related to somebody else. Now, despite all of the efforts, despite various search efforts by the police and the forensic testing that's been conducted throughout the years, Mm -hmm. all of which have failed to turn up any trace of William or any clues about his disappearance and police to this day have have yet to conclude what actually happened to little William. And I do want to leave everybody with uh, this thought. This This is kind of where I go with this, Captain. My final thoughts on this is one that, One thing that really scares me is that just because we've not found him or found trace of him doesn't necessarily mean that the worst didn't happen. 
We know that we know from the Jacob Wetterling case, we know from several other cases that sometimes these things happen and the, the child is taken and very quickly killed and disposed of afterwards. And it can be, sometimes it can be many, many years before we find proof of that. Mm-hmm. The thing that the, the thought that helps me put my head on the pillow at the end of the night and, and go to sleep is I hold on to hope that, that if William was taken, that by chance, you know, it is rare. A, a, a child sexual predator abduction that ends in murder is somewhat of a rare thing. What is even a little more rare is that maybe a female that wanted to, uh, that took him with the thought that she would raise him as his own, that she couldn't have children for whatever reason mm. that has happened on occasion. Yeah. It's very rare, but, um, at least in that scenario, he would be taken care of and probably loved. Um, so that's where I kind of keep my fingers crossed and, and hope and pray that that might be the situation. Yeah. I mean, you, you hope for stuff like that, but I mean, you know, a lot of times when we get these cases, it's just, you know, you see William's name and right beside it, it's missing child case. And then once you start diving into it, you just see the, I think the worst part of the, the universe, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And it's just one that, um, crimes against children. It's just the worst. And, um, and I think the worst to happen to him. Um, that's my gut feeling. Um, I do want to quote Bruce Markham, who he is the father of Daniel Markham, who was abducted and killed in Queensland, Australia in 2003. He had some words for the parents of little William. And Bruce said, have no fear. William is loved by the whole of Australia and we will not rest until we find that answer and who is responsible. Well, and this this is an awful problem that's happening down there, and, and they, they got to do something to, to fix it. Uh, the recommended reading for this week, Captain, is With One Shot, Family Murder and a search for justice. Now this is about the brutal murder of Laverne Stordick. And later his widow would confess to having killed him in cold blood. Mm-hmm. But the niece, this is the author, Dorothy Marsick. She suspe- she suspected a more sinister tale that was at the heart of her beloved uncle's violent death. So recommending with one shot. You don't have to write down that title or that author right now because you can go to truecrimegarage.com, click on the recommended page. We will have that listed there along with other recommendations from previous shows. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for sharing on social media. That means the world. And until next time, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.